1: What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 254 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, late into the night here on a Tuesday, here to recap game two in a game that was much closer than it needed to be at the end of it. But fortunately, the Braves still get the win. Uh, We'll try to be upbeat as a result of that with a 2-0 series lead. And joining me tonight is the great Eric Cole. Hello, sir.
2: I had kind of a different sort of mindset going into this podcast until about 20 minutes ago. Um now I kind of have a, a fresh sort of fear in me, but it's good to hear from you.
1: Yeah, I think fear is appropriate. Uh, you know, even with a 2-0 lead, we, we saw what the Dodgers are capable of. We we knew that going in. We talked about how good the Dodgers are. Uh, it was not realistic to think that the Braves were going to just absolutely cruise through this series. Uh, I know they were up 7-0 tonight, and they should have won comfortably, but they did win, and uh, we saw a little bit of the scariest. so it's kind of a mixed bag, but still uh, o- overwhelmingly a positive result, and that uh, going up 2-0 is... Uh, is huge in a seven-game series. Goes without saying, but worth emphasizing, especially after the weirdness this evening. Um, we can talk a little bit later, I think, about the uh, the stuff from Tuesday morning, the roster moves, uh, Camargo replacing Duvall, uh, Clayton Kershaw being scratched unexpectedly, um, not for the whole series, but for today. But uh, let's just dive in a little bit to the game itself, because, um, of course, there was a lot going on, and we'll come back to the... Uh, the secondary stuff later on if people want to tap out of the podcast um yeah let's just do that so top line thought eric i think you just kind of alluded to it but uh is it just existential dread because of how it ended i know we, we are recording this very close to the end of the game so it's all still fresh we're all still processing but uh where's your head at in terms of how this all played out with the benefit of you know five minutes of hindsight
2: so i don't want to like there are certainly some people that are like overreacting to this because I think at the end of the day, a lot of things had to go right and bounce right for the Dodgers to even have a chance to win this game. Um, You know, like Ozzy booting that grounder that was obviously really bad, Um, you know, and that kind of led to like a a run being in play that necessarily should, that, that shouldn't have been there. And, you know, just kind of like the way that Seekers double kind of just like died on the, died on the wall. And, you know, like little things like that. I, I don't necessarily want to, like knock the bullpen too much because ultimately they've been so good for so long that they're kind of due for a bit of an implosion. Uh, and this certainly qualifies uh when you are, you know, <laughs> when you almost, you know, spoil a, a, a night when your offense scores eight runs. But I think it's one, a healthy respect. And I hope that that kind of makes the, everyone on that Braves team respect what this Dodgers team can do, because again, they almost came back and won this thing. And, you know, for most of the game, we were all kind of like, you know, every at bat, every time they were turning over the lineup, like, OK, we got to go back to bets again. OK, there's Seeger again, you know, and it seems like Seeger's kind of woken up a little bit uh, after a, kind of a rough game yesterday. And, you know, then all of a sudden Bellinger kind of gets a hold of one, too. So these are all things you need to kind of monitor against a really good team. But the Braves won a game where their bullpen gave up seven runs. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's... Yeah. I mean, like,
2: I mean, I mean, like the the bullpen was due. Don't get me wrong. Like it just, these things happen, right? Like I, I'm not, I'm not faulting anybody. Like sometimes good hitters just make, you know, get good swings and like the Dodgers have, are, are full of them. But if the Braves are going to give up seven runs by their, from their bullpen and still win a game against the Dodgers and they're now up two games in this series, they're overwhelming favorites to win, to, 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 to win this series. I mean, it's like, what I think it's like three to one odds now. Uh because they because they ended up winning this game. And you know, Kershaw's dinged up and you know now their whole starting situation is kind of messed up because they had to go with Gonsolin today, who was okay but not great. I mean the Braves are favorites right now. And, you know, for as things as many things to have gone wrong late in this game, they still won that game. And, you know, there were brave teams in the recent past that wouldn't have won it.
1: Yeah, that's that's well said. I think you know, the dread that we all have, especially if you are a fan of multiple Atlanta sports teams uh, set in there at the end, um, it was a little bit of that, but it is worth the perspective to just say, you know, the Braves are now favored in the series, clearly, um, that doesn't mean they have to win it, this series is far from over, I think everyone knows that, but worth saying, but still, Atlanta is now favored in the series, definitively for the first time, it was more of a coin flip before this game, especially if you looked at the markets and all that, and... um you know at the end of the day, it's a win, and it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme how, how it got there, even if it was a little, it would have been a lot more of a celebratory atmosphere after the game had it finished up uh, at 8 3 or something something approaching 8 3. But 8 uh, 7, not quite as fulfilling, but alas, it's still a playoff win. Uh, we will dive into it now, as we often do, and I promise we will get to the fireworks later on. But we have to start at the top. To uh, just go through the whole thing, uh, Ian Anderson, one of your uh, favorite sons as a prospect, got through four innings in this game, um, and that doesn't sound like much. <laughs> Barely, but yeah, Barely. exactly. It <laughs> didn't, doesn't sound like much uh, to say that he got through four innings, but you know, Brian Snicker admitted this during a live in-game interview. Anderson did not have his his best compliment today. He wasn't completely useless either. He wasn't lost, but you know, he had, he had five walks in four innings. Uh, he was not his sharpest self. And uh, without going pitch by pitch on what could be a very very long podcast if we did that, eighty five pitches, four innings. And honestly, in a playoff situation, when you don't have your best stuff to get four scoreless innings out of your starting pitcher, is honestly a success.
2: Yeah, uh, especially when I mean his fastball command was just so off. I mean, look, he wasn't getting a ton of help from this umpire who was just kind of all over the place the time. Um So I'm not. I don't want like necessarily pile on too much because when you don't have your best stuff and like say what you want to about you know his his stuff part of the problem was just the Dodgers were fouling off a whole bunch of pitches against him yep. really ran his pitch pitch can up in the first inning uh, and he battled through and got and and got the job done getting four scoreless innings considering what their approach was and the quality of hitters they were going against particularly from the left-hand side and to you know to do what he did like does it suck that he walked five guys yeah so it, it certainly felt more busy on the base paths than it should have been for a guy who only gave up one hit but you know he he got the job done, and I, I honestly wasn't even certain he was going to be able to go, like to finish three innings, just because of how much they how how much they ran his pitch count up in the first inning. But he settled down a little bit. Um, the top of the order kind of gave him some fits in terms of you know how many pitches he was throwing. But you know going into the fifth inning, I, I was kind of fifty fifty. I'm like I, I think I probably would have been fine if they sent him back out there on like a super short leash and just immediately pulled him if you know. Kind of like what we talked about in that Marlins game where we weren't sure how long he were gonna let him ride out there and he just kind of you know went three more innings as a result, but you know something like that we're like, hey, the next base runner just yank him. Um, but I was also fine with just going with Matzik there too. Uh, Matzik's is kind of a guy that it's taken me a little while to like kind of understand what his value is and you know what to trust him as much as the Braves seem to. Uh, but he's been very, very good, uh, went two innings in this game. And was excellent yet again. Didn't like strike out six batters, which is kind of what we had come to expect from him. But was very, very good in kind of neutralizing these lefties from the from the Dodgers and kind of getting the Braves back into more some normal bullpen usage. And after after that, it was kind of you know things got a little
1: bit more interesting. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, they did. Well, we're not. Well, we won't dwell on that too much. No, I mean. Going back to Anderson, obviously, you know, he didn't have his best stuff. I was totally fine looking ahead a little bit to them taking him after four. Um, in retrospect, people were asking why, and I know if you look at the pitch count, it wasn't like he was over 100 or anything, but he threw, you know, 80-plus pitches in four innings. He had to grind, and Snicker was just pretty matter-of-fact with it. Not piling on the kid, but he did not have his best stuff. Snick- Snicker was willing to say that out loud, and um, they treated him the way that I think I would have treated him. Uh, we will not um, absolve, at least I will not absolve Snicker entirely in this game, but most of what I had issues with was later on. Not with not with the handling of Anderson. Just for specific stuff, real quickly. In the third inning, uh, Anderson caught a uh, a big break. I thought with uh, the Chris Taylor flyout that was hit a, that was hit four hundred and seven feet and a nine sixty expected expected batting average. Um, it was yeah. a nice play by Pache, who is a wizard out there. But also just having that cavernous ballpark. A lot of the time in this series so far, it feels like the Braves have been a little bit unlucky. On that particular swing, the Braves were lucky because that was a home run in most places.
2: You know, the Dodgers had a few ball, a few balls that were smoked um, yeah. <laughs> uh that, that ended up not working out I mean there was a you know again it was it, it felt kind of even
1: in that regard tonight uh, if
2: I'm just being yes. honest about it I mean, uh there wasn't like you know there wasn't anything that was particularly lucky or unlucky well there but... was
1: the there, there was the, you know the ground rule double later on that we'll talk about yeah that, that probably cost the Braves a run um if, if it hits if it stays in the ballpark it' could probably get two there. But yeah, I'm with you. I just want to make sure that I noted that um, it's not always against the Braves, this big ballpark. There was that one moment in this game where it was very clearly an advantage for Atlanta. And then a moment that I I, I circled, I think like we all did, in the, in the bottom of the third, when Anderson walks Betts, gives up a single to Turner to have two guys on first and third with two outs, then walks Muncie on four pitches to load the bases with two outs. And granted, there were two outs. But he got a uh, fielder's choice out of that to third. Riley stepped on third base to escape there. And I made note right away in yellow letters, like that was a moment to circle. If you're a Dodgers fan, you probably were frustrated by that one and circled it. But the Braves obviously gave up runs later on. But that was a huge one to keep it at 0-0 because at that point in time, the Braves haven't scored yet.
2: Yeah, and the the Dodgers had very clearly had more success in getting to Ian than the Braves had to, to Gonsolin because Gonsolin looked like he was like cruising for a no hitter through three innings. Yeah, he you know, looked like literally. I think he was he was, like, he, was, he was he was like at twenty eight pitches through three innings or something like that. You know, and then you know it just felt like Ian was like doing his absolute best to not let anything happen and just kind of hold off the horde. Uh, and you know that that inning was like things really could have gotten out of hand. And he ends up getting the getting getting the third out from Smith, you know, that it felt like that's when the momentum changed because, you know, from there we get to the top of the fourth where Freddie Freeman does his, you know, you know, reminds everyone why he's the M V P front runner. And instead of, you know, the Braves having to kind of come back and tie a game in that spot, you know, it allows them to take a two uh, a two run lead early in the ballgame and, you know, kind of allow kind of like sets the tone for the rest of like the middle part of this game where the Braves really kind of you know, put the Dodgers away.
1: Yeah. Well, we thought anyway, well, yeah, away. yeah, we thought yeah, yeah, eventually yeah. they, uh, I guess they did in theory, but yeah, Fred, Freddie, hit, Freddie hits the home run to break things open in the fourth to go up two nothing. That was uh, another, another, you know, no doubter from Freeman. That was good to see. Um uh, we talked about Anderson getting through, uh, 85 pitches. Um, by the way, 15 and two thirds scoreless Freeman <laughs> in the playoffs. He's, <laughs> He's silly. What are you going just... to say about that? Even though he wasn't great tonight, I, don't, I didn't think, but uh, still, that, that number is pretty jarring. Um,
2: <laughs> and again, in a game where Ian Anderson walked five Dodgers, and the bullpen did what they did, the Braves still won, uh, I'm good. I'm fine. Yep,
1: agreed. <laughs> uh, in the fifth inning, was the biggest damage of the night for Atlanta. A one-out walk by Marcakis, and then a great... Played appearance by Christian Pache, uh, who uh, RBI, RBI doubles down the left field line to go up 3 0. That was the best play appearance of his career, potentially, to this point. Um, shouts to him for that. Um, also, had a fantastic yep. take that I, I I don't always go into this, but I tweeted about it too. I couldn't believe he didn't swing 2 2. He took a close pitch, goes 3 2, and then uh, doubles on the next pitch. And by the way, Marquekis was motoring by his standards. just the way that I wrote it down. He was uh,
2: really booking it. He was. And and the at bat that he walked were like ended up being like ten pitches or something like that. That I was mean, a good. Like, that was a good
1: play appearance. I mean, I he, like, he, he had two I mean, in like, a row. He, he, he had three in this game actually, but two in a row that were really impressive uh, from what he's been looking like recently. Yeah,
2: yeah compared to his like first at bat where you know he barely saw any pitches and just watched them go, go by, and the, like last game where he just was like it was completely uncompetitive. You know, it, yep. it was really good to see is actually like contributing. Like you know, it was Markakis contributions. You know, like he hit a double and everyone's like, wow. He really got a hold of that one, you know, it's but, you know, those are the kinds of contributions you're going to need, you know, in this from this lineup, you know, down towards the bottom of it where you can kind of just scrape together extra runs here and there. And that's what this team did this today is just, you know, that bottom third of the lineup was kind of giving them just enough to kind of keep innings going and then, you know, really going to get, you know, string together a couple good innings, which is what they needed to kind of get enough runs to actually win this thing.
1: Yeah, Marquez I mean didn't look incredible but a couple of like professional at-bats we, we joke about that but that's, that's that's actually what happened in this game. He kind of just played to his strengths a little bit. He looked bad early and he's struggling to catch, catch up with that serious, you know, high 90s heat. But really good approaches and all that stuff and I uh you know, I did one of my bits on Twitter today about how I thought he would reach base multiple times and uh, I was proven to be correct there. So congratulations the to me on that. The, the, no. I'm, the, it was it's always funny profit. when uh, I'm I'm in a position where uh I'm rooting against Marcakis, rooting uh, for Marcakis, I should say, in terms of uh, people having conflicted opinions about whether they're supposed to yell at me or praise me when I say that kind of stuff. Because everyone, usually, Eric, as you know, you know how this goes. Anytime we say anything negative about Marcakis, if he has one hit, it's like the end of the world and you get dunked on and all that stuff. Um, But in this game, that was not that was not going to be the case, uh, but anyway, honestly though, shots to him. He had a good game tonight and was uh, looking better by the end of it. And against a right-handed pitcher, he's going to be in there. We all know that. So we will uh, leave that there for now. Uh, later on in the fifth, uh, Acuna walks to chase Gonsolin out with one out. They bring in Baez, a right-hander, um, but Baez has been really good against lefties this year. That didn't that didn't continue here. He was three for thirty-one against him. By lefties, uh, and but before this game, and then immediately Freddie Freeman with an RBI double to go up four nothing. Um, still first and third with one out single, after that. Right? Sorry, RBI single, single I, s- I yeah. said it wrong. Yeah, yeah yes, okay. R- RBI single. Um, first and third from there with one out. They walk Ozuna to load the bases, and then, um, another walk by the way, a bases loaded walk for Travis Darno as uh, Baez came. Oof totally unglued um it was five nothing there and then Ozzy honestly almost broke it way open he hit an absolute rope um 385 feet to center but a nice sort of leaping catch by Cody Bellinger to turn that into a sack fly despite it being a, a great swing by Ozzy. and it's still six nothing but honestly it could have been eight nothing in that moment with the way, if, if that's if that's, if that's, if that's not bellinger if that's like an average defender it might have been eight nothing yeah
2: the cody bellinger basically was worth like three four runs for for the Dodgers in this game, and you know had to get a little lucky to kind of not let him score in the bot- in you know in the bottom of the ninth, but i overall you know i I just remember I really like watching defense played well uh Pache was really good this game too, but you know. I'm still kind of shocked that a guy that's built like Bellinger who looks, who looks more like a first baseman than anything, he has turned into like a really good center fielder. And one thing I can say about the Dodgers is that they have some guys that I really like watching play, particularly on defense. Uh, uh, when you look at Bellinger and Mookie in particular. So, you know, it, again, kind of, kind of a, a bummer as a Braves fan because, you know, Ozzy really put some good swings on some balls tonight uh, and he probably should have gotten more paid off than he was for that one. But you know, at the same time, it's kind of it's kind of fun watching a guy making a big time play in a big time spot.
1: Yeah, for sure. And so, obviously, you know, through four and a half innings, the Braves lead six nothing. They're in a great spot. It's not over. Uh, we'll, we'll take a break now, Eric, to pay some bills. We'll be right back to talk about everything that transpired after the game got a little bit more hairy. So, stay tuned. And we'll, we'll be right back.
0: Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is
3: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: All right, Eric. Uh, In the bottom of the fifth, it's Tyler Matzik who takes over for Ian Anderson. Uh, I like that move overall. Uh, As you referenced earlier, Matzik's been great all year. Uh, He was good again in this game. Uh, Gets a, a double play to... Uh, Justin Turner. By the way, it should have been a strikeout uh, with one out. Turner definitely struck out, honestly, looking Uh, Matzik gets squeezed on a pitch that was uh, bizarrely called not a strike. And then it actually worked out in Brace' favor with a double play. So it's a rare moment where it's like, oh, that's actually a break that you got squeezed on a a strike call. But Matzik pitches two innings. He stays in after a pretty quick top of the sixth um, and cruises again. So on the downside, Matzik's probably unavailable for game three because you don't have you don't normally see guys go two innings and in then pitch the next day but he was he provided some real value in this game knocking out two innings especially after Ian only went four.
2: Yeah I mean Matt's just been kind of I mean like and I didn't he's a guy that like look we've been watching him all year and like he's been used for a couple innings at times and you know he's been kind of mentioned as a multiple inning guy. But you know when he came out for the sixth I was kinda of, like jarred by it because I was kind of like are we sure that's what we want to do? But you know, you kind of think about it and just kind of you know it allows them to kind of not blow through a bunch of relief arms when and when your starter only goes four innings, you know, and then you have a potential bullpen game coming up in game four. You really kind of want to make sure that you're saving guys if you can, and you know, this way you can you can give Magic a day off tomorrow, and then you know you can kind of fold him into that mix of guys that you're you got to, to run out there in game four. Again, it was a good it was a good choice, and he's been so good that it's just kind of hard to. A question you know if if it's you know erring on the side of you know don't worry he'll take care of it or he'll be okay like oh i can't recall a time when that didn't pay off for him so you know i kind of understand that confidence in that decision making but you know at the same time it, the, the everything about this daughter's offense is just scary to me so you know every time that so every time that they like you know something is a little bit risky i'm like oh you're tempting fate you know what i mean and you know obviously that Worked out fine with Matzik, but you know some other decisions down the road it uh, didn't work out quite as well.
1: Yeah, we'll get to those in a second. Um Dansby uh, hits a ground rule double that we referenced earlier in the seventh to go up seven nothing. It could have been eight nothing if they had the ball not gone out of the ballpark, but you can't be too upset about that, I suppose. At seven nothing, especially they threatened even more to score again in that spot, but still seven nothing. They bring in Darren O'Day, which was a bit of a curious decision. Not one that I was like upset about, but he had to come in to face the lefty to lead off. Granted, you know Darren O'Day is a big platoon guy, but with a three batter minimum, you can't just only pitch up against righties. He has to face lefties occasionally. That wasn't the worst spot to use him, I don't think, but uh, he comes in, makes a bit of a mess. Um, he did uh, get through three batters without without actually imploding all the way. But, uh, as soon as Minter comes in, which I thought was the right move, frankly, um he gets bombed off of by Seeger and it's seven to three in a hurry. Uh, granted Minter settled down from there and got the last two outs. you're still up by four with six outs to go. But what did you make of how that all went in the seventh? Uh, obviously just one big swing, but you know o'day Minter, like how did you feel about it the way that was handled
2: I mean we when it's a seven when it's a seven nothing game like that's kind of where you have to use O'Day. But O'Day has not looked particularly good in the playoffs period, if I'm just being honest. Um, and that just makes him – it makes it feel like it's super risky just to even throw him out there at all. Um, with Minter, I mean, I thought Minter looked fine. He made one bad pitch where he kind of threw one of his cutters that didn't cut, and it was just like middle, middle, you know center cut for Corey Seager, who has been one of the best hitters in baseball this year. You just can't do that. But that was just, that was just a mistake pitch. And that wasn't something where I'm like, wow, I'm really worried about him uh, going forward or anything. It's just kind of a, ba- it was a, a bad pitch in a really bad spot, but you know, at the end of the day, not something that I was super concerned about. I'm a little bit concerned about O'Day because, you know, even against the righties, he wasn't looking particularly great either. Uh, he was very fortunate to strike out Mookie Betts, because uh, otherwise, that that that's another inning they could have gotten away from him in a hurry if they couldn't kind of put Mookie away like he did.
1: Yeah, and I think it it is kind of telling and accurate to see them use Oday that way. I think he is very low on the totem pole. They still trust him more than like the absolute you know other guys like Jacob Webb or uh, as we saw tonight Josh Tomlin potentially, but uh, he's still you know well behind the other like the key key guys that they want to use. So they, they're using him early. You're up 7-0. I'm totally fine with that there. It looks funny to see him open an inning against a good lefty, but again, the three-outer minimum just makes it, diff- makes it different, so I didn't have a huge problem with that, and I agree with the Mentor wholeheartedly. I thought he looked okay for the most part. Um, not panicking there, just one bad pitch, and uh, you can sort of afford that up 7 Um The eighth inning was pretty uh, you know, harmless, other than the fact that Freddie Freeman was hit on his bad elbow by a pitch by Alex Wood, he did not seem to be in a great position physically. I'm not seeing. I'm looking at Twitter still while we record this after the game. I'm not seeing an update on Freeman. He he did stay in the game. Um, hopefully that's okay. You know he got hit with, with a pitch. It wasn't like anything like crazy happened other than that. But that could be painful. Obviously it was a change up, which might help. It wasn't a fastball. Um, but I know I was worried just because it's that elbow and the way that he looked was not comfortable.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's more of a he got hit in the funny bone type thing. Uh, I, I understand I understand that's his bad elbow, um, but I I think with a bone spur type, you know, a bone spur repair, I think you should have a tough time re-injuring that too much when you get it removed. Um, and the pitch was like an 86 mile an hour changeup or something like that. I mean, yep. we've seen weir we've seen weirder injuries, but that he stayed in the game and that he stayed running the bases. Like, uh, not something I was super, I'm not super concerned. He definitely looked like he was in pain, but I think he just kind of caught him kind of in a, you know, soft spot on his elbow. When he, It never it doesn't feel good for anybody to get hit in the funny bone, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, like, it's just like, even even Freddie Freeman, who's, you know, uh, a, a large, very athletic man. I mean, if you get hit square in the funny bone, it hurts. So, I, I think that's what it was, and I think we would have heard something already if it was, you know, something that they were worried about. But I again, it was a little in the moment, a little bit scary. But you know, when you kind of look at what pitch it was, and you know, kind of how it was handled after that, I think he's fine.
1: Yeah, the only concern is that Freddie has a well-documented history of not. Uh, being terribly forthcoming and removing himself from games, and uh, also true, trying also to play true. through stuff he shouldn't play through. So that that's the only concern. But I I tend to agree with you, knock on wood, that he will probably be fine. But something to at least circle if he uh, does not look like himself later on in the series. Uh, all right, it's time to go to the ninth inning, which was not a lot of fun. So the top half was was good. Uh, Ozzy Albies. Uh, for some reason, Dave Roberts continues to to flip him around and have him face lefties. And God bless Dave Roberts for that. Um, Ozzy hits a four hundred <laughs> yeah, I mean, a four foot bomb that, uh, by the way, Mark Melanson caught again. That's back to back, which is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I think on a baseball field, <laughs> like the the guy warming up at the bullpen, hey, caught he both was home runs.
2: He was excited. I mean, look, Melanson caught the game winning home run. So I mean, like you know, it did. was just kind of it was. I mean, it was Melanson's fault that it was the game winning home run. But you know, it's. <laughs>
1: <laughs> partially, partially <laughs> fault. Yeah. Not all. Not yeah, all. but but partially. I I love I, I, lo- I love the
2: catch in the celebration though. I really did. Mal- 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 uh Melanson seems like a really fun guy <laughs> in that bullpen, uh, and seems to be kind of embracing his role as you know Ozzy's personal outfielder. I guess so. Uh, I, I kind of hope that the like every time a like comes up the bat, that you know like Malanson sets up in the bullpen just to kind of see if we can kind of keep that going because you know so far so
1: good. Uh, that's well said. Uh, they actually almost scored again. They actually got singles from Dansby on a great swing, I thought, on, to the opposite field, and then Marquez with another two out single off a lefty. Actually, a nice, nice flare into left field, but no more damage there. It's eight three though. You're in a good spot, and uh, here's the situation in which we have to talk about process uh, in the way that we often do. So the decision was made to bring in Josh Tomlin. I-, I tweeted this in the moment, so this is not revisionist. I tweeted it before it happened, and then when it happened, this surprised me and i didn't i didn't like it even in the moment now we have been pretty much pro Josh Tomlin on this podcast i think we've been pretty in favor of Tomlin being a pretty useful yeah, piece like in Tomlin. some ways um but my point is that his main utility on this team is to get multiple innings and give you that depth piece and i thought it was just a curious move to pitch him in a one inning spot where I, I get the year up five, and honestly, I would defend the use of a guy who is not your best guys. Because, you know, I have a couple of friends that were tw- that were texting me about this offline. I saw some tw- some tweets about this as well. Like, why wasn't it Melanson to start the inning? Why wasn't it, you know, where was Will Smith? You got to win the game. Trust me, I, I understand that it's the playoffs and you want to be your best self. But in this situation it's sort of unprecedented in the recent past to have seven games in seven days. You, you have to think to the future a little bit. I know you got to win the game in front of you. I totally understand that. And that was definitely what was happening here is that Schnitt was trying to save guys by going to Tomlin there. I'm on board with trying to save some guys here. I really am. But with that said, I would not have gone to Tomlin because of just the role that he's in. That's not what he's supposed to be there for. Like go to Jacob Webb or go to Shane Green. Like I understand trying to avoid Melanson or Smith, but Melanson was warming up too. That's the, that's the thing that was weird to me is like if you're gonna have Melanson warm up extensively, just just pitch him. Like there's no real reason. I mean, I get what, I get you want to have him ready to go. Sort of if you if you get in tr- if you get in some trouble there, but if he's gonna warm up. Just throw him out there. I don't know. The whole process was kind of weird to me. What did you make of it? Because obviously you know fast forward. Tom Tomlin looks pretty bad. Gets annihilated by Muncy two eight six. Before they go to Melanson eventually, which we'll talk about in a second. But uh, what what did you think of that move? Because I, I didn't like it in the moment, and I still don't like I still like it now.
2: Yeah, I just don't think Tomlin was should have been the guy that was warming up with Melanson. Like you know, if you warm up Melanson just like as a just in case option, I totally respect that. And if you want to, and if you feel like you need to try to save him and maybe some other arms, then I c- completely understand going with you know again not one of your best guys, but like Jacob Webb should have been in this game. I, I like that's what I think it should be because if you feel like you need to be running Will Smith and Shane Green is like you're eight and nine. Like I, if you have a five run lead, I would be trying out Jacob Webb in that spot because you're exactly right. And it, like my biggest problem with Tomlin coming in is that he's a right hander going against Corey Seager and Max Muncie and like like going against like the thick of the Dodgers order. And if w- Tomlin had one issue as a pitcher you know during his career is that like giving up the long ball, which is pretty much the only way that you can really lose this game. And you're gonna send this guy out there in a role that he's normally not used for. You know, usually he's kind of like a planned long guy, or you know, kind of is just in there to kind of make sure that things don't get too out of hand for over a three inning stint. But you know, he's gotten worse over the course of the year too, which is also makes it a little bit more problematic too in terms of using him in whatever role you're going to use him in. But you know, that's what end up happening is like you know, like. Seeger you know kept the ball fair, and then Muncie like destroyed that ball to make it really close, and you know he had to use Melanson anyway, and it kind of you know it kind of puts everyone in a spot now where i mean like what what can you use Tomlin for in game four now? I mean you can't really use him tomorrow because he had threw a bunch of pitches and was terrible, and you know in game four it kind of makes you wonder if you really want to be using him in kind of a two or three inning spot you know where you'd probably have to use him in that bullpen game. It's it's kind of a mess. Um, and again, the it's not the I don't think that they should have just like ran Melanson out there. I think that they should have probably just gone with like Green like warm up Green and Web, and then use one of those two guys. And then if you kind of see things start getting squirrely, then you can get Melanson up, uh, who wasn't that particularly great either. So
1: no, I mean the, the only the reason I even brought up Melanson at the top is because they had him warming up too. Th- that's the curious right. thing for me is that. I know there's a difference a difference between warming up and pitching in the game, but if you're really trying to avoid Melanson, maybe don't have him warming up. Like I agree with you. Like maybe it might have made some sense to have Green and Webb warming up together or whatever. Um, If you're gonna warm up Melanson, just pitch Melanson. In my opinion, that's a small thing. You know, I agree. I think my overall takeaway is I would have used Webb. I said that in the moment, so again, not revisionist. Not that Webb is like, you know, leaps and bounds better, but he's just more accustomed to that role. He's a more talented arm. Yeah, he, he could have gotten in some trouble. I'm not saying Webb would have been perfect in the inning by any means, but that's why you have guys behind him. Whereas Tomlin is, again, I think my role for Tomlin in this series would be a situation in which your starter just gets rocked early or he you get an injury or you go to extra innings where you need a guy to be potentially throw forever. That's Tomlin's value on the roster right now. And you want that guy on the team. You need someone like that in a playoff situation. Like if game one had gone to in multiple innings and maybe you're still playing in the 13th, it's good to have Josh Tomlin as a guy that can go throw three innings for you in that in that kind of situation. But, you know, it's just weird. That's kind of my only takeaway. I, I, I I get the process. I really do. It's just the the execution of it. Tomlin is the guy that I would not have used in that spot. And we've been relatively kind to Snicker on on, uh, on the pod the last couple of weeks. Honestly, he's done a pretty good job. That was one I, I did not support. And uh, it didn't. It backfired. Not, not even I, as someone who didn't love that move, thought it was going to be as bad as it was. <laughs> I would not have predicted Tomlin to get rocked that badly. But uh, it happened. So there you go. Uh, Melanson, finally. Uh, the tying run gets to the plate. And then he gives up a double. It was it was to, to Bellinger, and then a tying run is now on third base, in short order. Mercifully, he gets an out. Uh, I will say this about Melanson: it should have been over. Ozzy boots a ground ball that he makes the play ninety nine out of hundred times. So yep. if you, that's that's the one thing about that whole situation because everything else that was that happened in that inning was earned in a bad way by the pitcher, like. There was just some bad pitches being made and some good hitting being done by the, by the Dodgers, but it should have been an 8-6 final because Melanson came in and did his job, got a pretty routine round ball, and Ozzy just didn't make the play. So I'm not going to pile on him. Ozzy's a great defender, but that was an, uh, a suboptimal time for a, a mishap.
2: Yeah, and like, it's not even worth p- piling on Ozzy because, you know, he had one ball where it was like hit like like he had a scorcher hit at him. Oh yeah, deep, deep, deep in know. the
1: hole. That was that, that was called a hit, and I think rightly so. That was a weird that was a weird hop. It yeah.
2: yeah, that was that like that wasn't his fault, but like Ozzy's been so good defensively this postseason. Like, you know, just these things happen. Just like it couldn't have come in a worse spot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in yeah. a game where like things are really getting in the way and he just kinda makes just kinda boots the play. This isn't like, you know, like top of the second, like you know, nothing nothing game and it just lets a runner be on. You know, it's just kind of a bad spot for it to happen. I, I Again, you don't really worry about Ozzie Albies defensively. If we're just being honest about it, no. just kind of a, it was a bad place to have it happen. Uh, fortunately, Austin Riley is pretty good at def- pretty good defensively, and uh, you know a ball that was smoked right at him was ended up being the third out, and you know ended up mercifully ending this game because if this thing had gone to extras, yeah. Uh, the- <laughs> I would have had probably just uninstalled Twitter from my phone. And yeah, maybe. that
1: that would have been the move. Honestly, no one was comfortable at all uh, that whole time, and it it sort of felt in some circles. And I think we probably are talking about this a little bit as well on the podcast. But it felt like some people were like treating this like a, almost almost as a loss. It was like, all right, well that was that was brutal. I'm like, no, they won the game. I mean, it, it sucked for sure. The ending was not good, but th- they still won this game against a team that's really good, and now they have the advantage. So that's worth uh, emphasizing. But yeah, it was not. It was not fun. It should have been eight to six to be char- to be charitable. But um, fortunately, still a win, and uh, we will not have to litigate all of what transpired at the end. Um, before we get to some big picture stuff, Eric, do you have any final thoughts on this game before we look ahead to Game Three and talk about the stuff that happened this morning? Uh,
2: this is a game that the Braves had to win because I think that if you know the Dodgers get this one, it becomes a lot you know more difficult when you going going forward, uh, when you kind of, you have possibly Clint Kershaw on the horizon and you have some kind of tough pitching games for you, for your squad coming up and, and you're kind of gifted this opportunity to, you know, all of a sudden like catch the Dodgers having to like make some like last minute changes and you jump all over their guys. Like if they had lost this game, it would have been like a disaster, but instead like all these things went wrong for the Braves and they still end up winning this game. like, you have to feel pretty good about the Braves chances going forward. Uh, Especially if like Kershaw is not feeling completely up for, you know, completely healthy and maybe isn't quite right whenever, if, and when he ever does start in the series, it seems like it's, you know, it's going to be at least game four. might be a little bit later if the series makes it that long. They,
1: they, they did seem confident that he would pitch at some point and game four is it's not going to be game three. That's definitely not happening, but Roberts did seem confident he would pitch, but that's a big thing. I mean, on one hand, the Dodgers are the kind of team where it's crazy but they lose a hall of fame guy that scratched this morning and they go to a, and they go to a guy Gonsolin, that's like pretty good like most teams would love to have Gonsolin in their rotation um he and he was okay in this game once well, like he was incredible after the first 3 innings but um, that's the depth that they have but you know he can't pitch twice now in terms of uh, Kershaw can't pitch twice in a series now that that's a good thing overall i would say that's a that's a break for the Braves so yeah it's just big picture it's funny we are the process math people um if the Braves had lost in that fashion, blowing a seven-nothing lead, it would have felt not like it was over, but it would have felt like the Braves were big underdogs in the series. If they if they blow, if they blow that lead, it's 1-1 and LA has, you know, the quote-unquote momentum or whatever, it would have felt at least to me, probably overreaction time, but it would have felt like the weight of the world was on their shoulders if they lost that game today.
2: Yeah, I, it would have felt like they were down two oh. 0. Like that's It wouldn't have felt like it was a tie series, you know, and all of a sudden it turned into a best of five. It right. would have felt like, you know, like <laughs> that you're, you have this one opportunity to stay in it. And it was like, it's taken away from you. And all of a sudden you have, you know, the work that you have done is just gone. And, you know, what I mean, like, it just, there's a lot of a lot of bad feelings that have happened as a result of a loss, and you know, a lot of them were kind of crossing my mind as I was desperately trying to get this recap finished for this game uh, while I was happening. <laughs> oh yeah, you had, was,
1: you, had was, to, was, you had to re, you had to rewrite. We, we've all been there that do this. Uh, people that don't do this won't understand, but uh, I I know exactly what you had to do. What you had to deal with tonight, having to do rewrite, probably half your story. That's not fun.
2: So so I I was not tempted. You're going to be very happy because I know what the Atlanta sports gods were going to do to me. If I started like, writing things like, you know, Braves, you know, annihilate Dodgers you know <laughs> or anything <laughs> yeah, like do that. Not, like, do not no, do no, headlines. No. headlines. Headlines headlines no. are a mess. Don't do that. Ever. Well, no, you, you, you say things like Braves explode early. You know what I mean? So that way you can kind <laughs> of like, you're describing what happened, but you're not making any commitments as to what the final outcome is going to be. And I was a good boy. And it, I even did that in the, in the, in the piece itself where I was just kind of like, you know, like, okay. And then the Braves were three outs away. Because then I could feel like I could kind of put that nine-inning nonsense at the bottom and then, you know, just kind of put the right kind of title on it and be done with it. Fill it and, and all I'll... in.
1: No, I'm, I'm yeah. with you. I'm with it's
2: you 100 Yeah, I'm not trying to attempt try, fate and have anyone mad at me. So, I'm you know, I was a, I was a good
1: guy. A wise decision. Uh, okay, let's look ahead a little bit here. Also talk about the news from this morning. Uh, Johan Camargo did not play in this game, but he's the guy that replaced Adam Duvall. That's not a huge surprise. It's brutal for Duvall. Obviously, we are uh, big fans of his, as discussed last night with me and Scott. Um, a fun season for Duval, a nice breakout for him, especially during that massive run where he was just bombing every night, essentially. Um, but they, they go to Camargo. He provides versatility. Um, something I wanted to make sure that we mentioned on this podcast is that Snicker told the media today that if Kershaw was starting, they were going to start Camargo at third base, Riley in left field, and Pache in center field, which... Could be instructive for Game 3, because Game 3 is Urias, who is also left-handed. So I'm going to assume, until we see the lineup and maybe see otherwise, that Snit's going to do that same thing. Um, so overall, what did you make of Camargo being the choice? And B, what did, what do you make of that lineup construction that might, that we might slash probably will see on Wednesday?
2: Um, I certainly don't hate it. Uh, but the one thing that uh, to keep in mind is that since Nick Markakis reached base three times in this game, that you know things can things can change, and you know, yeah, he he might, might he might
1: play him tomorrow. It might
2: happen. He might he might m- might play the hot hand. Uh, even though you know one game is certainly not that. And if we're talking about a body of work, I would not characterize Nick Markakis as hot um, in terms of his play on the <laughs> on the Atlanta Blades roster. But you know, there's there's no telling, and there's you know. There's more that goes into it than just lefty and righty. I don't know if they have specific things that they they like from from Camargo against Urius or against Kershaw versus others. And you know, I, I kind of would like to hope that there's more to it than just handedness because you know Kershaw's kind of is a kind of a reverse splits guy. Yeah. So you know, if that's the case, and you know, like, what's the be- benefit of really running Camargo out there against him? Um, you kind of think about those things, but maybe you, maybe you're right in that they it's far it will play better against Urias, who seems to have kind of more normal splits. Um, but I, you know, in terms of the overall impact on the on the lineup, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, Johan Camargo has not been good, and neither has Nick Markakis. I don't think they have a really a great guy for that spot. I and mean, basically, if you get any production from either one of those, you know, either one of those guys, you know. You're win. just thrilled, yeah. You just <laughs> yeah. You're thrilled. I mean, you're not. You're. It's not not a gamesmanship happening with this one.
1: No, and we talked about the decision last night when we kind of assumed that Duvall was going to be gone. Camargo is one of the options. I think the versatility of, of him is kind of appealing um, compared to guys like Ender or maybe going to third catcher, et cetera. I don't really care too much about that about that decision. Um, and you know, I would say hopefully you don't have to go to the end of your bench a whole lot in the uh, DH-led playoff setting. But, yeah, I I think it's interesting to me that they would go to Camargo, at least plan on going to Camargo against the lefty, because, you know, handedness is interesting. His splits for his career are pretty well defined. Camargo has a 119 career WRC+, plus against lefties. That is good, quite obviously, and when he was actually at his peak in 2018, he was just mashing left-handed pitching. But, since then, two full seasons... A 64 WRC plus against lefties this year in a small sample size, of course, and then 73 in 2019. So he's not really been that guy for two years now. I'm not sure where they stack up in terms of how Snit and the front office view Camargo and his ability to hit left-handed pitching. Um, But it's just kind of an interesting process Thing because we know how Marquez struggles against lefties, but um there is no great option. That was my overall takeaway last night, too. The, the, like there yeah. no, there is no great option here. There are better options than others. I was thrilled beyond belief to see Pache start tonight. And I think that was absolutely the right move. I called for that. I know you did as well. I'm encouraged that he started against a righty because that means, at least in my view, that he's gonna start every game in the series the rest of the way. He got a big hit tonight. His defense is invaluable in center field. That that is the right move. I think it was very obvious but also not a given going into today. So that was at least exciting.
2: Yeah, it, it, it certainly wasn't a given. And with Camargo, I mean, you look at his, you know, WSJ plus against lefties. I mean, it's worth noting that Camargo has been actively bad for two years too. So it's I not mean, like at, just at, every, at, every, at, at everything. Yeah. He's yeah, he's, he's he's not, he's not good against righties either. No. Uh, and you know, so what I'm more interested in is like, is he in shape? Can he actually like man third base, ably while you know like while all this roster shuffling is happening yeah they have they have
1: Sandoval too and Sandoval they went to in game one but Sandoval is a platoon split guy that I know they went to him on defense in game one but they probably don't want to do that a whole lot (laughs) if they can help it yeah
2: that 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 one that got hit to him late I was just kind of (gasps) like you know it it was fine but it was you know I don't know the bench is not very good (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that defense, that that defensive alignment uh, late in the game on game one was, uh, uh,
1: yeah. Let's not do that again. I, I will get really angry yeah. again if we start talking about that. No, but I, I think it's just worth saying that the bench isn't as bad as it was famously two years ago on the worst bench I've ever I've ever seen constructed in the playoffs. Um, but this time, the only guy, the only bench guy, the Braves... Rene Rivera. Yeah, the only bench guy the Braves have right now that's like an above-average bench guy is Tyler Flowers, who they're just never going to play in the series because Snit Snit will never use a second catcher. So, yeah, going great. Anyway, uh, essentially what it comes down to is on paper, according to what Snit said on Tuesday before Game 2, it's essentially the same cast of characters except for they're going to run a Marquecas Camargo platoon, which sounds funny because they're different positions, but that's that's basically what it is. It's Marquecas against righties, Camargo against lefties, and like you referenced before, that could have changed today. If they think that Marquecas is now dialed in, they might play him tomorrow. You know, it is what it is. I don't want to go on a rant now after a win, but there you go. Oh, also the other thing that was a small change, but notable change. They put Riley 7th in the order and Marquecas 8th in the order, so they flipped those guys while putting Pache ninth. I think that's just fine. You want Marquez in the middle of those guys for handedness reasons. And Pacha hitting ninth makes all the sense in the world. I know they don't trust his bat a whole lot, um, but he looked good today. And, you know, that's not why he's in there, honestly. You're hoping he can do something offensively. But I think we've now seen through, uh, you know, almost two full games in the series that his defense uh, is just comforting out there to see him like having the ball hit well to center field and just kind of like not having to worry about what, what's going to happen out there is nice. He's really good. Yeah.
2: It's, you know, he is just, you know, has the whole tool set to be a really good center fielder. He has like legitimate speed and he has, gets, you know, great jumps and great takes great routes. And, you know, it, it's kind of when we had Ender, you know, before he started losing a step and, you know, actually was trying on defense, you know, <laughs> prime, Ender. you kind of felt you, yeah, prime, prime, prime Ender. You just kind of felt like the ball was at the center, you know, in all likelihood, something good was going to happen. Um, because, you know, there's just kind of that, that defensive ability, you know, the, the day that Pate took the field, you know, he was one of the better defensive center fielders in baseball. You know what I mean? Um, he was, yep. he was playing against one. He was playing against a pretty good one too, but you know, it's, yeah, it, I, 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 I like the lineup. I, ninth is a good spot for him. You know, I'm kind of surprised he's being as patient at the plate as he has been. He's really been kind of working some deep counts and, you know, had the had two walks yesterday and, like, you know, again, saw some, you know, six, seven pitch at-bats today, uh, including the one where he hit the double. So, you know, that kind of works out well when you have guys like, you know, Ronald Acuna and Freddie Freeman at the top of the order when, he, when it comes, you know, if you can manage to get on. Um, Ronnie has not looked good. I'm I'm a little worried
1: that his wrist is bothering him.
2: Uh, maybe more than they're letting on. He just doesn't look particularly good. Yeah, hasn't, has there, seen, there's some approach hasn't stuff hasn't
1: too. Been. Like he's kind of in his own head right now. I think like he's not as aggressive as he's been, um, either the last couple of plate appearances. So yeah, I'm. You know, it's a small sample size. I don't worry too too much. But because the wrist is lingering and we know it's been bothering him to some degree, that's a pretty obvious um uh, focal point potentially. So yeah, hopefully he's fine. I don't know. I mean, Urias is good by the way in game three. Urias is a really talented guy. He's been uh, hot and cold at times, but his career numbers are are very good. He's a former top prospect. We'll see how they handle that. Um, Kyle Wright, of course, for the Braves. We can uh, talk about him, but we've already done that quite a bit. So Kyle Wright is Kyle Wright. Uh, He throws the same way he did in in his last start, and we'll we'll all be thrilled. Um, And as a bullpen note here, Martin and Melanson both pitched in the first two games. They have not said they're unavailable at this moment in time. I'd be surprised if either of them pitched for three days in a row, Um, and also Matzik threw two innings tonight, which might take him off the board as well. So if they're without all three of those guys, which is certainly in play, you'll probably see Will Smith as the closer of sorts. You also have AJ Minter, you have Shane Green. You have have some guys. That's one of the strengths of this bullpen is that you have depth, but uh, not your full complement probably in Game 3.
2: No, probably not, um, and you know, we could see some weird decisions being made, kind of, if, you know, Urias and or Wright struggle uh, mightily. Uh, we that might see that, that is the nature, decisions.
1: yeah, it's the nature of this incredibly bizarre seven-game, seven-day thing that like no one is, yeah. honestly, no one that covers, even covers the sport, is used to this right now, because it, just, it never happens. Five games in five days is different than seven and seven days, and, you know, the, the NLCS never never goes on with, without a, without a single off day, and the managers are having to do this on the fly as well. I'm sure they have a plan, but that contributes, honestly, as much as it frustrates people, especially p- people that are not like super diehard fans. Like, why aren't they using their best guys? And it's like, you know, physically, they're just not going to have these guys pitch four days in a row. Like, three days in a row is pushing it for most guys. Um, and honestly, <laughs> I know the Braves had a, a couple of guys in O'Day and Massacre that, that never pitched more than more than one day in a row <laughs> during the season this year. But you know, right. for instance, like for you know, you, you you can't just pitch Smith and Melanson in the eighth and the ninth every game for seven days. Like it's not that's not how that works. I know it's the playoffs, and you want to be out get out there and be gritty. But guys are going to be unavailable. They have to plan ahead a little bit. It's frustrating. I know, especially for I just hate the schedule. I, I just think it's not the way that playoff baseball has been played for decades now. But uh, the changes happen. They knew, but they knew about them going into this going into the series, so they have to plan accordingly.
2: Yeah, and again it's gonna kind of, I, I think that the decisions the next two games I I know that a lot of people are like there, there are gonna be ones that objectively, like in a vacuum are gonna piss off a lot of people. People are like, Why is that guy in? Why is that guy not in? et cetera, et cetera. But I'm gonna be more understanding of these next two games because these the decisions that you make with your bullpen in these next two games will determine how the rest of the series goes. Um they're not yep. now the Braves have the, best, the Braves have the best chance to kind of make this not matter at all if they can just you know win the next two games and then all of a sudden it's a sweep which I frankly would have lost a significant amount of money on if that actually happens <laughs> but um you know but if this game if this thing goes long I mean the the Dodgers have some guys that are like throwing 100 miles
1: an hour you can't just run those guys out there constantly uh, Well that's I mean, the thing it's, it's max the, the the laws of physics Yeah that that's the new thing new is relative but the semi recent past of baseball is that you know, these bullpen guys that are throwing 100, they're throwing max effort every pitch. And they know that going in, but that also takes, you know, you can't have those guys pitch three days in a row doing that. That's just not, that's not how, they're not constructed to do that. I know it's the playoffs and everyone wants to do their, do their part. But if you're going to go out there and throw max effort for, you know, 15 pitches, that's going to be it for you for maybe two days in a row. And that'll be it. So I don't know. It's just really interesting. I agree. You'll probably see some decisions that, especially like a more casual fan, it's not paying attention to the format is gonna hate in the next two days. I tend to agree with you on that. And maybe we'll maybe we will too. Like we didn't like the Tomlin thing. I know I didn't like that. So that wasn't like you know that wasn't necessarily part of this, but it kinda was, and that SNIT was trying to do some damage control before winning a game, and I understood it, but there will be some controversy, I would imagine, in the next two games. And by the way, Eric, the Dodgers have not lost three games in a row this entire season. Just want to put that out there.
2: The Braves have not lost a game at all this postseason.
1: Well, you weren't supposed to say that. You're supposed to let the let the, let the reverse <laughs> jinx go out there and just say the Dodgers can, the Dodgers can't no, lose co- three I'm games in a row. No, Eric. So,
2: no, see, I'm covering both bases, right? That's fine. Like, you know, like the you know, what I mean, like it's kind of I I feel like if we can if we do both, like we can't be blamed. in in any sense. You know what I mean? Oh, uh,
1: we'll, we'll we'll be blamed. I, I got I had someone uh, trying to dunk on me for Marquez having hits today, and I was like, did you miss the part where I tweeted that uh, multiple times? And I thought he's gonna have multiple. Uh, times reaching base like it doesn't we can't win it doesn't matter the moral of the story is that people want to hear what they want to hear and uh, we'll get blamed either way but that's fine
2: this is true and if they want to ignore you know the entire body of work of Nick Marcake is up until this point <laughs> that's <totally> fine. <laughs>
1: or others it's not, it's not always him he's just the one that we get that we're probably known for the right. most but sure. uh, there are plenty of situations and decisions I'm sure that someone will get mad at us for questioning Tom or, I don't know it'll be something that happens oh I, I
2: had people I had people tweeting at me yesterday saying is the offense going to be this bad throughout the entirety of the playoffs
1: the offense is pretty good. Um, uh, yeah,
2: I'm, like, I'm like, I'm not sure if the offense is the problem. No, Did you it's, watch it's not. the Marlins series, or
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's okay. Final thing before I let you get out of here. It's getting late on this Tuesday. Uh, the schedule is now finally out, but even then, it's kind of hedged because of the ALCS. And uh, as we record this, it is 11:19 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday. Uh, the Rays might go up three nothing. The Rays are leading. Five to two in the seventh on the Astros. If they do that, if they win tonight, if that holds, they'll, they'll be up three nothing, which is important because game four. So you know, game three we already we already knew is six oh five on Wednesday. Game four is set in stone. It's eight oh eight on Thursday. So another another sort of back to the Monday schedule a little bit later night, and then game five, if necessary, on Friday, is scheduled currently for nine oh eight p.m. First pitch. Now that's very late. Uh, and considering how long yep. ba- baseball games take in the playoffs, it's going to be a very late night. Um, the only thing is, if the AL is already completed by then, which is possible to be sure, um, then the game's at 8.08 instead of 9.08, which is still late, but not quite as bad. And the same thing goes for for Saturday. In fact, Saturday's game could move by two and a half hours because if both series are still playing, the Braves will play at 4.38 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. But if the AL is already done, the Braves go to 7.08 so just keep that in mind. And then, by the way, Game Seven, if necessary, um, will be in its own standalone slot at 8:15 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday. So the schedule is out. You'll probably see it on TalkingChop.com if you want to go look, uh, sort of visualize it in front of you. But now we can at least plan a little bit. Uh, at, you know, evening games other than maybe Saturday afternoon, and maybe a 9:08 game, which is uh, about as late as they would ever start an LCS game. I know it's Friday, which is kind of why they were probably seeing the green light to go a little bit later because people don't work on Saturday mornings, but. That will be a long one for uh, I I I already tweeted Scott like Scott get ready my man nine oh eight yeah like it's written for Scott
2: thanks thank you West Coast correspondent Scott Coleman because
1: yeah family you you, you, you have family Eric and that that will honestly I mean not that you're not gonna watch the game because I'm sure you will but there's a difference between watching the game and then doing the podcast and everything after it so if the game happens at nine oh eight and we assume like tonight's game was four plus hours. Last night was like three and a half hours. If we assume a normal playoff game length, the game will be over at like twelve forty-five or one a.m. And then you got to do a podcast, and then I got to edit it and post it and all that. So the show will not be up until probably two two thirty on on uh, Friday if the game happens at nine oh eight. So just just prepare yeah. for that,
2: or or if the game happens at all, Brad. Because... Listen,
1: don't. I, I said if necessary multiple times, multiple <laughs> times. I hope it doesn't matter. I hope it's a sweep. Uh, The odds of that are not terribly high. By the way, just for the record, the Dodgers are favored. I just I just looked this up on uh, on a couple of the sites that I look at. Um, The the Dodgers are are the betting favorites to win on Thursday. They've been um, sorry Wednesday in Game Three. They've been the betting favorites in every game so far. That doesn't mean that they're going to win, but they are favored again in game three with Urias against Wright. And I am quite confident that the Dodgers will be favored in game four, given the Braves pitching situation. So just keep that in mind as well. Um, And we'll we'll hopefully get some some answers between now and tomorrow night about game four, because right now we have absolutely none. We'll be guessing at some point. Uh, We don't know what they're going to do. They don't probably know what they're going to do just yet. It might depend on what what happens uh, on Wednesday. So, good tease for the future. Eric, any final thoughts? Please feel free to share them. And if not, please plug anything you got going on because the site's been very busy. and I know you have as well because uh, you were on duty tonight.
2: Yeah, just make sure you go to Uh Any and all recap and preview type content that you're looking for for this series is very likely to be on the site. Uh, I know that we're also going to be posting a braves instructional roster uh instructional league roster yeah uh, baby that, uh, that's that, uh, that, that, that's that's my get...
1: that's my kind of content right there eric that's <laughs> yeah, it right up your alley I targeted know. for me yeah. yep yep the, the brad roland
2: special uh if you want to know about the guys who are going to be playing down in instructs uh wayne cavati and matt got together and they're gonna be, i think that's gonna be posted tomorrow morning that sounds about right sure. um and uh from there you know it's it Look, we're in, we're in playoffs mode. We're trying to fold in other forms of content, you know, as time allows. But it's pretty tough right now when we're kind of focused on this. Um, really just kind of make sure you keep an eye on the site, you know. And, you know, just make sure you're reading all the all the articles that are post up because a lot of people are doing a lot of work right now. Uh, these, these game days, I can tell you from personal experience from today, the coverage days when you're on coverage – is very, very taxing, uh, physically and mentally, just kind of getting everything covered as things were happening. Uh, predictably, you know, on the one time where I decided to, you know, take game coverage when rosters aren't being released, a bunch of stuff happens <laughs> like, you know, uh, which is exactly what happened to me today. But, you know, if you want to support the site, the best thing you can do is just read the content. Um, and just, you know, like participate in the comments and all that other stuff. But beyond that, just, you know, thanks again for all the support guys, you know, we're kind of in the home stretch here. Uh, we're not really used to the kind of these deep postseason runs, but we're having a blast doing it. So thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you are a new listener, please, uh, if you enjoy the podcast anyway, please subscribe to the show. Via the platform of your choice and we really uh, appreciate all of the support leave five star feedback if you like the show reviews ratings etc uh i will be here with either eric or scott i'm not sure exactly who every night this week as long as the series continues we will figure that out on the back end but we will have podcasts after every game we've been doing that the whole time and uh, by the way thanks to you the listener we are approaching our monthly record for the podcast and right now as we speak it is still the 13th of the month so that tells you everything you need to know about uh, all yeah. the support. So shouts to you guys for listening to the podcast. We'll be back again on Wednesday night, and stay tuned for that.